Hello everyone, uh, welcome to a podcast. Uh, this isn't a Ian Abernethy podcast, this is an episode of the Combat Learning Podcast uh, with Josh Peacock, uh, shared here with Josh's permission. Uh, Josh, really bright guy, great interviewer, we had a fun conversation. Uh, his podcast is about applying scientific research to uh, learning and teaching uh, martial arts and in this episode we talked about uh, kata as a process and the importance of applying modern training methods to traditional martial arts so i hope you enjoy it uh, as regards my own podcast obviously i have a something of a, a backlog there going back a long way uh, pre-pandemic, I, 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 if you remember those days, <laughs> uh, pre-pandemic, I, I just didn't have the opportunity to get them out, busy with other things. I uh, hope to get caught up and use this time to, to get them out to you. Uh, the, in the app as well, of course, the audio lessons are in there, so I, I've got a few of those those out in addition to all the other stuff uh, in the app. But the podcast proper, um, that will continue, obviously, but uh, as you know, it's not as regular as either of us would like it to be, and I hope to rectify that to some degree degree um in the enforced downtime that we've got uh, coming up but in the meantime enjoy this episode with uh, with uh, myself and josh as i say fun conversation i, I really enjoyed uh, our our talk and i hope you do too okay take care everyone i'll speak to you soon Welcome to the Combat Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. My guest today is Ian Apernethy, a well-known expert on practical karate training and kata application and an advocate of traditional martial arts practice. In this episode, Ian presents his own view of kata as a process of four inextricable stages. One, solo practice. Two, functional application. Three, principle-based partner practice. And four, live partner practice or kata-based sparring. While most other traditional martial arts view kata as a solo exercise that must be translated into practical techniques, Ian sees solo practice, application, and sparring as all one in the same process entailed by the kata system. Ian also explains what kata-based sparring is, why he hates one-step sparring, and the necessity of bringing modern training methods into traditional martial arts practice. No matter who you are, this episode is simmering over with interesting and helpful discussion. So if you're excited to dive in, hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher now. Appreciate you doing this, by the way, and I know it hasn't been easy to organize, so I'm really grateful to you for your patience and um, being flexible with my schedule as well. It's really good of you. Oh, no problem. I really, really wanted to make sure I had you on the podcast because you're a I've been following you for just on and off for years and years, and I know you're uh, you're very well respected. So I'm I'm glad that you decided to come on my show. <laughs> well, I heard some good things about it, uh, this week as well. It just goes to show because I think with the podcast, it takes a while to kind of generate that momentum with them, you know. But I saw a guy on um, uh, Facebook, no, no, you, uh, Twitter, it was, uh, who tweeted at me saying you should really listen to this podcast. You'll really enjoy it, and it was yours. <laughs> oh really? So, yeah, yeah. So I thought there's. I, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to say actually I'm due to go on that, but um, it just because yeah. I, I, there's not that many. Well, there are. There's a number of martial arts podcasts, but there's not as many martial arts podcasts as there are YouTube channels. You know. 
Yeah. yeah. So I think people are always looking, if you're a podcast listener as I am, you're always looking for new ones and good ones, you see. So it's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it out for you. I'll send it across, but I thought it was kind of cool how, you know, nothing escapes it. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know who that was? Because I'm not on Twitter, so that's, that just blows me away. Yeah, no, no, that was, um, um, it was me and a few others who'd copied in on it. I think Jesse Enkamp might have been another one that was linked and, but he just said, if you haven't listened to this, this is a, a, a podcast, you see. And at first, I, I, I saw the Combat Learning. I thought, oh, I think that's the one. I clicked over and saw that you'd done, I haven't listened to them yet, but I saw you'd done a couple of episodes. I went, ah, good stuff. So that's a, a solid start as well, so. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, man. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, plodding along, trying to feel my way out. You know, it's a, a small audience right now, but we're we're growing week over week, which is which is exciting. Um, not a lot of feedback yet. The what I have gotten has been really positive. So that's awesome. But yeah. you know, it's you don't ever hit your stride from at least from what I hear until you got a bigger audience and you get a lot more feedback on what works and what doesn't. But I, I'm trying my best. Well, the lovely thing about podcasts as well is like, I mean, I, I don't record them as often as I should really, but they're always there. People are, new people are always discovering them. I mean, I, I get people, you know, asking me about podcasts I made 10 years ago. So, you know, it, it's it's not like, like, like things like YouTube videos and stuff have a very definite shelf life, you know, where they mm -hmm. kind of just fall off the algorithm. But podcasts yeah. tend to last a lot, uh, a lot longer, I think. So, but when this one goes up, obviously, you know, I, I, I'll give it a strong push towards my lists, and I think that that's the kind of way in which these things tend to grow. Because then, if people, I'm sure they will, you know, they'll enjoy the one that we've done, and then they'll listen to others. And as I say, I think there's definitely an audience out there hungry for uh, for quality podcasts, you know, especially martial arts podcasts, because we're fanatical martial artists, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, we can yes. never consume enough of it, you know, so. No, hey, yeah, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're a strange breed, I guess you could say. <laughs> I, I never yeah. stop talking about it. It's all I think about all the time for like 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is. I've often thought it'd be wonderful if you could get like, um, a psychologist or sociologist or someone like that just to do a study of us as a subculture because we are a weird bunch of individuals you know yeah. and i just think it's, um it, it simultaneously fascinates me and delights me at the same time you know yeah we oh man so many weirdos too but, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, 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 but i mean like you know, i often I, I sometimes it hits me at seminars a lot really i mean i watch you know large groups of people all hitting punching kicking one another but massively enjoying it, yes. <laughs> enjoying the violence that they're inflicting one another, but are not violent <laughs> people by nature. It's just, there's something very weird going on. Uh, it, 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 so I think in my quest for understanding of myself, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd yeah, like to sit there, yeah, tell me why I'm weird. <laughs> it, it is weird because some t certain types of stress at work that are just very, I don't know how to describe it as, uh, just I don't know. It's not a. It's not necessarily a huge deal. It affects me a certain way. I don't really want to go to work, but it doesn't matter how hurt I get at Taekwondo or Jiu-Jitsu or whatever it is I happen to be practicing. I'm never like the, There's never a thought in my mind when I go back to class. Oh man, I hope that doesn't happen today. <laughs> <laughs> like it just doesn't. It's like this is just what I am a martial arts. This is what I do. I'm going to go back to martial arts class. It, 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 oh, definitely. And with this lockdown at the moment, I've just found it, it dawned on me a few weeks ago. I thought this is the longest I've ever gone in about 40 years without being kicked or punched. 
<laughs> yeah, no normal man should have to, you know, think those thoughts, you know, but I think no <laughs> for weeks just feels so wrong, you know. If you uh if you don't if you don't spar, you don't train, you don't roll, you don't understand. That's just <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it is. Well, uh uh, I want to ease in here a little bit. I know that uh, most most traditional martial artists that are going to listen to this podcast probably know who you are. But for my non-traditional listeners, could you give a quick introduction of yourself and what you do? Yeah, yeah. It's, we're recording now, are we? Do you want me to jump straight into that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're recording. I had the recording on before just because I didn't want to miss um, anything. But yeah, no, lovely. No, no, that's good. No, I am. Um, so, um, well, name's Ian Abernethy, uh, 48 years old, living uh, Northern England, the true north, not Manchester North. I'm, I'm two and a half hours north of North, right on the Scottish border. <laughs> uh, I've, uh, main martial art I've done uh, is karate. That's the one that enthuses me the most and interests me the most. Uh, I've done some others, but that's the one that I enjoy the most. Uh, I travel quite extensively, uh, I did, um, teaching uh, martial arts, traditional martial arts for... Uh, with a view to the modern-day function and valuing from that perspective. And I've got a fairly strong online presence as well, so I'm fairly easy to find if people want extra background information. Awesome. I, I know you're an OG in the space because I saw your <laughs> your email list and your website and your e-zine. You're still publishing that e-zine, right? Uh, uh, no, not for a while. I, I did have one, but we, we we stopped that a while ago. So, oh, geez, oh, geez. I'm old, right? I, I, <laughs> it's a polite <laughs> Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm not as old as you, but I, I think I'm dating myself as well there. <laughs> I remember back, back, back when um, probably, man, you were talking about like an, a podcast like 10 years ago. I remember going to sleep listening to podcasts from you, like, just I couldn't get enough information. I was like, I didn't even I didn't even want to take the break between when I put the 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 phone down and when I went to sleep. I just wanted to keep listening to it. <laughs> I, I do that. That's part of my when I go to sleep. I think podcasts. Are, I've often thought that I should have a, like a, a lullaby section in them. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, I'm sorry. What was that? I say I do that too. I listen to podcasts as I sleep. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> so you you view kata a little differently than others, it seems like. So how would you how would you define kata? Well, I mean, it's, it's a, I think that's that's a fundamental point. Is it means different things to different people, which sometimes mm -hmm. can be can be difficult when you're having conversations about it. Because I can talk to fellow karateka, and we're both talking about kata, but what they mean by kata is not what I mean by kata. Um, so, so fundamentally, for me, it, it, it's it's a, a a formal way of doing things. That that's effectively what the the kata is. With with the kata of of karate, they're a supplementary form of solo training and a repository of knowledge. And I think one of the big problems with it as well is um, kata is both simultaneously undervalued and overvalued. So you get people who overvalue it, who just believe that if somehow by methods as yet unidentified, the physical act of performing a kata will make you a better fighter. Well, I think that's overvaluing it because I don't believe that. I think it's it's a 
part of a whole. It should be part of a process. And the undervaluing, if it comes from the other side, is, well, people who maybe haven't seen that process in action, again, can't see how it could ever have any value. And as a lot of these things, I find that um, the, it's the nuance that reveals its, 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 its value, really. So I can talk a little bit more about that. I can talk a little bit more about the process, if you'd like, and how I see that working in brief terms. Yeah, I would I would actually love you to talk about the kata process because to me that's a very novel thing and it's probably in my opinion is the best framework I've I've come across for making kata workable especially in a modern training environment and and making it into an actual practical tool. That's really kind of you to say. No, I'm glad it resonates. But so the, the way the way I try and explain it, um, the model I use, and this is something that's reflected in a lot of the writing of the old masters as well, although they, they didn't necessarily express it the same way as I do. But there's this this understanding of examples being examples of concepts and ideas. These concepts and ideas are adaptable and that you need to practice them in uh, live and organic ways, you know. So, um, but so the, the process as I describe, I say there's, there's like these four elements to it. Um, so the first element would be the solo cutter itself. So we have a uh, effectively two-person drills done solo and stuck end-to-end. That's effectively what a, a cutter is. So there's that part of it. And that has... Uh, it gives a chance for solo practice when you haven't got a training partner. It gives a chance to work visualization. It gives a chance for um, exercise. So it, it has it values in and of itself. But mm-hmm. the, the wider process would then, we would go from the cutter and go, well, right, what's the application of the movement? What's the two-person drill that goes with it? So in my own dojo, they will learn the sequence, not the whole cutter necessarily, just even a given sequence. And then immediately they'll say, okay, this is what it represents with a partner. And then they will do that with a partner. So that would be the second element of it is drilling with a partner. The third element, and this is the one I think sometimes, um, I know when I try to explain this to people at seminars, sometimes people struggle with this a little bit because it depends on your understanding of concepts and principles, really, because mm-hmm. they are a little bit ethereal. But but then the next thing is, okay, look at that example and what principles is it embodying? What, what combative concepts are in play here? And then understand that the example is designed to point you towards those combative concepts. So I always use the Bruce Lee line from Enter the Dragon on that one, where he says it's like a finger pointing to the moon, concentrate on the finger and you miss all that heavenly glory. So that's yeah. the point. Don't get stuck on the example. Understand that it's just it, it, it's, it's a, a, an example of concept. Like Funakoshi said, you know, always perform the kata exactly. Combat is another matter. Nakasone said, don't be shackled by the rituals of kata, but instead move freely according to the opponent's strengths and weaknesses. So you, you need that element practice to so say this is just one example what combative principles and concepts are at play here how can they, they be expanded upon and then the fourth stage is uh, live experience of doing it so you, you'll have done examples of set pieces in certain ways with a partner to get the ideas and concepts but obviously from a combative point of view we need to apply it in uh, a live way so that would be the process summed up very briefly is we've got the solo cutter, we've got the two-person equivalent, we've got working with the principles and concepts, understanding that they're um, we're supposed to try and internalize them so we fight in accordance with them. That's what we're trying to do. And then as, as part of the overall process is when we game uh, live and semi-live, depending on the objective of the drill, but we've got ways of, of, of allowing those things to flow organically in live practice as well. 
Awesome. So the one of the thing that I got caught up on is when you when you say kata, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you say kata, you mean the process which envelops the solo exercise. You don't just mean the solo exercise. One hundred percent. Yes, and that's it. And, and this is so. This is why um, when I'm talking, I will refer to and people who read my stuff will maybe see this, but they might not realize why I'm doing it. But for that stage one, I always say solo kata. So, so people are familiar that when I'm talking about kata, I am talking about that wider process. Because I, th- I think this is a, a problem we have. So, you know, I sometimes, you know, you, you'll get people who say, well, kata is useless. And, and I can agree with them fully, depending on what they mean by kata. So if the, the solo kata is divorced from the wider process, it does become useless in the same way that if if all a boxer ever did was jump rope or hit a bag, if he only does one aspect of his training, is mm-hmm. not going to be complete. All the different elements come together of which cutter is one part. Awesome. Great. Um, like, well, full disclosure. So Ian is on this podcast because I got a little bit too big for my britches and I thought that I understood <laughs> uh <laughs> his idea of kata. So I was arguing with another, a mutual friend, and um, he uh, he he tagged he tagged Ian, and Ian came in and, and uh, set me straight. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if y'all have that expression over there across the pond, but um, over here in this house, yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> but, but, bridge, <laughs> yeah, no I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's, uh, but but the, that's a wonderful thing when when we, it results in conversations like this. I, I I always think these are really good because so much of martial arts discussion online is is so much of of, of low quality and so and the problem I always have as well. So it's you know I've got twenty years worth of material out there, and and depending on which parts of it people have been exposed to, they're going to get an incomplete picture. And I always say the internet doesn't do nuance. So those nuanced points ne- never get communicated unless people are, are training in person. But you know, it was a good online conversation, and we're here chatting now. So it's uh, yeah, so it's, it's um, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, um, I often come off the wrong way on the internet, anyways. I, I didn't want it to to be lost that I'm actually a fan of yours for a long time. <laughs> no, no, well, you and me both, and that's that's the other thing with it. And by the way, I mean when we had that discussion, I'm sure it's out there for someone. It was that the central idea was you'd you'd uh, you'd mention what my process was, and, and my point was you'd misunderstood the process. Yeah, but 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 you know that's it's it's very easy to to do, and obviously you know, there's some onus on me there to make sure that I, as clearly as I possibly can, articulate my own ideas, and it's. Um, I'm not always successful in doing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a complex view that you have and that's kind of, that happens. So sometimes what I've found, especially on the internet is it doesn't matter how well or how meticulously you communicate something, it stuff gets lost in translation because either it just, there just needs to be repetition or the person's just not listening <laughs> or they don't have the categories. Yeah, well, that, that's uh, it. And the, the other problem with it as well, and, and, and this is the one I, I most frequently run into is because we've all got our own backgrounds and experiences. So, mm-hmm. and we don't have a com- common terminology. So I can talk about what kata is, but someone else can have an entirely different understanding of what kata is to them or kumite or sparring or karate or self-protection all of these phrases means different things to different people so mm-hmm. it's sometimes difficult to talk because we don't have a common terminology you see so it's um it, it is and i often find that as well i, I it's obviously you're out there publicly so i'll, I'll it, you obviously get a lot of critique 
but a good proportion of that is is people who've misunderstood the idea, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, or, 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 and again, this is, you know, being honest here, this is where karate people don't help themselves either. Because if you yeah. wanted to point to the idea of um, a cat being some kind of magical process that you do as an alternative to sparring and somehow it makes you a better fighter, you can find karateka who genuinely hold that view. Mm-hmm. So th- then when I come along and say, no, kata can have function, they go, well, no, it doesn't, but they're using the definition that another karateka has given to them. And I can hardly complain that, well, you know, you should follow my definitions because it, it, different people define things in different ways. But yeah, it's not always easy to communicate those nuanced points, I find. Sure. Yeah, and then that's... Uh, I do run into karate guys like that. Most of the people that I deal with is uh, Taekwondo people, which kind of have a lot of the same, almost actually almost identical ideas about, about forms. We, we call them, depending on the style, Pumse, I call them Pumse. Um, some people call them Hyung or, or uh, Tol or, or something like that. Um, what, I, what I really run into a lot is actually a lot of guys that even cite you, but what they're saying is actually totally different than, oh. <laughs> than, than what you say. It's like it, they actually do believe you just do the, the kata or you just do the pumse, and that's sufficient. And the, the sparring is um, just something that you kind of do, but it's not sufficiently realistic for the street, so you have to do kata in one steps instead. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah, and, yeah, I get, I get that, and, and I've heard that a lot as well. I've heard. Um, hey, sorry to interrupt you right in the middle of the podcast, but I promise it'll only take a second. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Combat Learning email newsletter at combatlearning.com/newsletter. Not only will you never miss an episode of the Combat Learning podcast, you'll get exclusive tips and resources straight to your inbox, and I'm giving away my ebook an introduction to motor learning for martial artists so you can get up to speed on the central topics of this podcast. But that's not even it. I'll also invite you to our private Facebook discussion group so you can ask any questions you want or discuss any topic related to teaching and learning martial arts. And all of this is 100% free. So go to combatlearning.com newsletter right now to subscribe and claim all this cool stuff for yourself. That's combatlearning.com newsletter. People using my name to justify practices that I don't support, right? You know, so so on the basis, well, Ian says cut is good, and what they mean by cut is something entirely different. So they go that this is good. But so the point for me is, you know, if you're talking about like that, the, the cutter and the, even the self defense side of it. Uh, life practice is mandatory. It's absolutely mandatory. I, I wrote about that in my first book over 20 years ago, that, that, it, that if, if people want to learn to apply combative skills in a free-flowing live way, it has to be practiced in a live way. Now, and obviously there's variations in that because it's got to be safe. It's got to be appropriate to the objective. Sure. It's got to be sure. relevant for the level of the student. So there's, I, I'm not saying just throw everyone at the deep end and what happens, happens. There's, there's, a, there's a process there too. But, but if, if, if live practice is missing, that aliveness is missing. We have problems. And again, this is where Karatika are their own worst enemy here as well, because um, it's not unusual for people to see um, Katra and sparring as, as as separate, disparate entities that you do one or the other. You know, that the Katra is like an alternative to sparring, whereas it's not supposed to be. If you know, if you look at Utska, the founder of Wadaru, he said martial arts progressed from Katra to Kumite to Komba. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Chucky old Okinawan master said that um, uh, the, the, uh, the kumite is an actual fight where we use the techniques of the kata to grapple with an opponent. The, the, these, these, this, that link 
has always been there, but it, now yeah. they're often regarded as separate things, and, and mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of the problem comes from. But again, every martial arts got kata, whether they use that term or not. If I went to into a boxing gym, they'd go, okay, let's work some basic combinations. Here's a jab cross. That's a two-move kata. That, that's, that's, you know, sure. and, then, and then they'd show me the kata, and then they'd say, well, this is how you apply it, and here's the variations, and now let's get into the ring and try it. They, they would use the same four-stage process. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing out like standard combinations as an example of, of how kata might appear in, um, in a, uh, I don't want to say a functional martial arts. I think karate is functional, but in a, um, in a different non-traditional martial art, um, because a lot of people will say, well, you know, shadow boxing is an example of, of kata, which I, I really disagree with because it, it, it functions very different than um than, than a kata i think because there's not there's no script there's no set there's no set principles it's very much creative and and you working on what you want to work at that time and it's different every time you or very different every time you do it whereas set combinations you, you learn the combinations because they have some fundamental quality to them and um it, it's important that you learn those fundamental movement patterns because they're going to be important for you to kind of scaffold yourself into into the the combinations that you um that you're going to do live in mm. a fight in a match or in a self defense situation I, I don't know if you agree with that or not 100% yeah 100% that's that, that that's exactly it so for for example yeah i agree with you that the the analogy uh or the comparison of kata and shadow boxing has been one and the same the the, the not but but you you can do that. I mean, I, I put an app. Um, I have an app. I put a video in a few weeks ago showing how you could take the techniques of the kata and then freestyle them. You know, so you then you are shadow sparring with the techniques of the kata. You are taking these set pieces and then sparring. But it's exactly yeah. that. It's exactly that. And, and and every martial art I've, I've I've done has this. They go like, here's some set pieces or drills that we have. These are designed to, as you say give you some movement patterns to illustrate some some basic ideas but then the need to be given that organic flow um see i liken it like i sometimes find where i'm teaching analogies even if they're imperfect can help get the point across but i always say cutter is like a block of ice it's it's unchanging it's fixed whereas what we want to do is we want to apply the heat of combat to it and then it becomes fluid and malleable and it changes to the situation and, and that, that's it. Those set pieces shouldn't be preserved. They should be understood for what they are, which is an illustration of an idea. Cool. So, um, moving to back to like the fourth, the fourth phase, we're already talking about aliveness. Mm. What is what is kata based sparring? Like, could could you go into that more deeply? Yeah, Koska, and and that that again is one of these things that um, really confuses people, especially if they come into it from that view that kata is one thing and sparring is something else. They go, well, how do these two um, combine? But 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 the the way I use that terminology in my own dojo is basically to demarcate between two large categories of sparring. So if I was just doing sparring, sparring, that would be the stuff that I'm trying to do with a view to. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, sorry, but are we, are we back? Yeah, we're back. 
Yeah, no problem, no problem. Well, yeah, I was just saying, so the Canterbury sparring, um, it, it does confuse people because people, again, tend to see this idea of Canterbury sparring as being different entities where mm -hmm. there shouldn't really, the two of them should be combined. So in, in, in my dojo, if we were doing sparring, those are the kind of skills we would use to outfight another martial artist. So I use the term for that consensual violence. It's something that we agree to do. The katabe sparring stuff is is more akin to the traditional goal of old school karate, which is how do I avoid harm from criminals? So the, the drills that we do that would utilize the methods of the kata with that ob objective of close range, non-consensual civilian combat, that's what those, those drills are there to represent. So that's the broad category, but it's not just a kind of sparring. It's lots of different kinds of sparring, depending on what objectives that we are trying to, um, to, to develop at a given point. So it probably help if I give an example with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so by by way of example, right? So the, the first kata my students learn is uh, Pinan Shodan. It's called Hian Nidan in Shotokan. And the first part of that kata, we break down into four drills, and those four drills are primarily about the skills of getting the enemy's arm out the way to land the t a shot on the jaw or the neck. So they would learn the kata, they would do the the drills, um, the set drills, so they understand the way of controlling the limb to get it out of the way so you can land a shot in close-range combat. So we're not talking about guards up 10 feet away, we're talking about you're know, on top of one another, like the self-defense-based scenario, cutting through those limbs to land a solid shot to facilitate your escape. So they do that set drill. They would then start to play with the set drill and understand the idea, so that would be stage three. And they'll then say, right, what I want you to practice now is this skill. So one drill I could do to help them get that is because I want to isolate this specific skill is I'll, I'll tie them together with belts or stand them on the same mat so they're at close range. And then they've got to land shots on one another. And sometimes we'll do it where one's attacking and one's defending or we'll, we'll mix it up a little bit. But, but then what they've got to do is they've then got to get, okay, immediately because of the distance we're at, your limbs are the problem. I can't land the shot. I have to get the limb out of the way. I have to slap it out of the way, grab it, pull it, arm drag it, whatever it is to get the limb out of the way. So then they're getting that live practice of the skills and concepts that the cutter has introduced. And obviously that's isolating that skill. And later on, we can integrate it with all other kinds of skills as well. Yeah, but isolated. That's a good word. But I think some people, when they hear isolation, they think more of like a line drill. But you mean isolated as in you're isolating uh, like a small group of skills, but it's still alive. It still has those important dynamics. 100%. Yeah. So, so, so for example, later on, you know, if, if the higher grades are sparring, they will be um, throwing, kicking, punching, grappling, locking, all that kind of stuff, elbowing, kneeing. So all of those skills that they were first introduced to from one specific part of the kata will be flowing in there. But I think that, that that's a standard form of practice for us. You, you, you watch somebody do something, and if they're doing it well, you let them carry on. If they're not, you go, right, okay, let's stop. Let's isolate that skill improve that skill, and then reintegrate that skill back into everything else that you do. So when I mean isolate, I just mean literally taking one element and working on that one element in isolation to all the others, just so that it gets the attention that it needs at that given point. Good. Very good. So you, you've said before you don't do one-step sparring. Can you explain what those are and why you don't do them? Yeah, because – yeah, so the, the – uh, or three step or five step either. I don't do any of those. So, so typically mm -hmm. within in in um, 
and I can explain the history of this in a second because they are an odd thing that are just a yeah, weird part. Yeah. yeah. So the the, the, ba- the the basic history of it then as well, just so for those who don't know where these things came from, because they are um, I, I, they're, they're just bad. You know, I, I, I really don't <laughs> like, I really, really don't like them. I, I'm genuinely pretty open-minded about things and I understand there's more than one way to do things, but I've never had anyone yet explain to me a worthwhile reason to do these, either from a self-defense perspective or a sparring perspective. Or So the, 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 what happened was karate is a, an art practiced by a handful of people in Okinawa. They realize it's dying. They realize it's old fashioned in terms of, you know, we, people have got guns now. So what do we need to learn martial arts for? You know, mm-hmm. um, all the martial arts are going through this. So what they essentially do is they go, look, what, what, what are all the popular kids doing? Right. So judo and kendo, even though, you, you know, those skills, kendo, for example, has no relevance to the modern warfare at that time. Um, they've reinvented them as as modern buddhos so karate realizes well if i'm we're going to thrive we need to do the same thing so it's no longer karate it becomes karate do and they 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 rip off judo's gi judo's belt judo's do ethos you know they they, they talk about it's about fitness and health because japan's trying to build up its military so anything that makes fit healthy young men is something that's going to be valued and appreciated and they also look at the forms of practice they're doing well in kendo as warm-ups they'll quite often tap each other's head with the stick five times and the other guy will come the other way in judo's nagano kata they do things in threes quite a lot where it'll be break the balance break the balance throw and for those practices it works very well so the karate guys see this and go oh okay if that's what we're supposed to do that's what we'll do so they invent these weird drills where people step forwards with the forming very formal lunging punch and then another (laughs) one and then another one and finally on the third one or the fifth one they do something significant um, so they're an historical anom- anomaly, really. They should never really existed. Uh, the argument for them is sometimes people say, well, yeah, but they give you timing and distancing. But I, my retort to that is, yes, the wrong timing and the wrong distancing, because the timing and distancing of one-step sparring in karate, unlike the three-step drills of judo, do- doesn't equate to how it's actually applied. So um, I, you know, I, I did these things for years and years and years, as, as most traditional martial artists do. Uh, my own instructor had his strong reservations about them. So um, he, he kind of altered them to make them better than they were, but I still not overly convinced by them. He mm-hmm. dropped three-step and five-step sparring. And then when, when I started up my own um, dojo, we just went, okay, they're gone because they just we couldn't see any purpose they they serve. And, and, and I've, I've put up there why I don't do them, and there's people who've came back to me with other arguments. And as yet, I haven't heard a good one. I remain open to it, but I haven't heard a good reason why anyone does those. If you want, yeah. I mean, the, the good argument could be we find them fun and we find them interesting, <laughs> you know, and, 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 I, and I, I regard that. It sounds a little bit flippant, but I regard that as a, that's entirely legit. You know, if somebody goes, this is just a cool thing to do, then, you know, life short, enjoy it, do things you like doing. But I think it's when there's an acclaim for uh, these are, a, uh, these develop a useful, meaningful skill. Uh, I've yet to see the process by which that would happen. Yeah. One of my buddies, Thomas Husky, he was actually uh, one of the early guests on the show. Um, so he, I've been trying to deconvert him from one steps, but what, what his, <laughs> the way, the way he approaches it is, um, 
he does not have any standard set of one steps. So the, the way he teaches it, the way he practices it is you have to come up with something um, spontaneous on the motion that's, that somebody gives you. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing that he does is he doesn't really do formal motion. So maybe the person coming at him uses a formal motion, but he does not use a formal motion in, in response. So I don't know how much better that makes it. He says it builds spontaneous response. I disagree, but it, it's at least workable, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that would seem to be a, a strong step in the right direction, I think. Uh, you know, I, I, it's like, um, I don't know how familiar you, you are with these, but Rory Miller. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Rory's got excellent material. And Rory M- Miller has a whole host of drills that he calls one-step drills. Yeah. W- but they are entirely different from what most karateka mean by right. <laughs> steps, you see. So so again, that confusion can sometimes um, arise as, as, as well. But Rory said this. He said he came up with this concept. He called them one-step drills, and then he saw karate one-step drills and was like, oh, that, that's a little bit different. But that's a little bit more organic and a little bit more free-flowing and unscripted, you know. And, we do, you know, you, you definitely do need a means by which you can build these things up gradually. You can't just throw people in at the deep end because they just they just get overwhelmed and they don't learn. But um, I'm, I'm not convinced that one-steps are meaningful along that way, primarily because – the the long lunging nature of the the attacks isn't what happens in consensual violence it's not what happens in non-consensual violence either so i, I always yeah. say that a martial dead end i'm not quite sure where it can yeah. lead to it, it gives you a, a a false sense of timing and distance i think it's not worth it's not worth defending against because you're never going to have to deal with that particular timing. You're going to have to deal with timing that's, like you said, somebody on top of you a lot quicker, a lot closer. Yeah, no, absolutely. It doesn't re- relate to what we're uh, we're training for, you see. But but again, you know, I'm not one of these people that believes everything has to, re- you know, reduce to function. If, if something's, if people are doing it because it's, a, like, I mean, we've got martial artists who do medieval swordsmanship. They're never going to use that skill on a battlefield or mm-hmm. in self-defense. They just acknowledge that this is something I'm interested in. So mm-hmm. if people go, you know, this is, these are interesting because we're interested in them and or we enjoy doing them, then that's fine. But I think once, once you make a claim that it serves a function well i'm going to need that demonstrated to me and as of yet i've I've never heard a good argument for those yeah i i honestly wish that martial artists would just say that more often like hey i just it's fun i like to do it instead of trying to make up like really ad hoc arguments real (laughs) haphazard arguments just off the cuff to to justify i did the same thing too i'm guilty of it but it's like when when I finally had that breakthrough of like, uh, so what if you know, so what if Olympic sparring is all sport? It's fun. I like it. It's a sport. What's wrong with that? And, uh, suddenly, everyone's power just went away, and I'm like, oh, my life is so much better now because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing, I filmed the video yesterday that I'll be adding to YouTube uh, in the next month or so, uh, and it it was the five. Um, things that I think martial artists get wrong about self-defense. And, and number one was exactly the point you've just made, is that they use self-defense as the only valid measure. And I think that that's such a massive mistake because so little of martial arts is relevant to self-defense when you actually understand what self-defense properly is. 
but that doesn't mean it's without value. So, so, and then we have this thing where people try and cram things into the self-defense box that have no business being there. So, you know, I would say that 90% of what I do is not directly applicable to self-defense, but, but it might be useful to, for consensual fighting, for fun and interest, for enjoyment. And these are entirely valid reasons to do things. I think we just need to make sure we, we, we get the demarcation right. Because any martial artist who thinks that everything they do is relevant to self-defense is flat out wrong. Because once you get beyond the first couple of months of training, <laughs> I mean, I, I liken it this way. It's, this is an analogy of a friend of mine. It says like self-defense is like first aid training. You know, th that's what it is. In martial artists, we aim to become surgeons, specialists. You know, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the brain surgeon of groundwork. Do you know what I mean? Right. The, the, you know, the, the, the Thai boxer is the heart surgeon of kicking. You know, we, we take these things to incredibly high levels, but even the brain surgeon, when self-defense happens, they're going to, the, 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 the sort of first aid, the brain surgeon's got to apply first aid. In a first aid situation, he's not going to go, okay, get me a scalpel, I'm about to operate. So it's just acknowledging what's relevant for what. And, and then we, our training is focused and on point, and we get to enjoy all the fun stuff as well. It just makes it enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 would, I would challenge any martial artists that get caught up in the argument of, you know, if it's not super functional to real life fighting, you know, why, why you don't have to justify it. If you have fun doing it, then just do it. Like you don't have like, just, Hey, it's a sport. I'm having fun. End of story. <laughs> you know, cause you're not, <laughs> most of us are not going to end up in a life or death situation. At least I hope not. And most of the stuff that you practice, even the stuff that's practical self-defense, you're probably not even going to use, probably just going to use punches and grapples, <laughs> you know, maybe a low kick. <laughs> so it's just, um, but, yeah. but even, that's, that's exactly, but even then, even those that claim, cause there's different kinds of functional too. So, um, it, it, for, it, for, so I could go to the judo club and I could do something that would be functional in judo, which would be disastrous in self-defense. Right. You know, and, 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 and vice versa. So all of these things, I always think when people go, it works, I think that's a bit of a meaningless statement unless you go, well, works for what? <laughs> you know, what, yeah. what does it work for? Because because there are, there are things that, that that I would, like give an example, right? Just to illustrate the point. So when I, in, in judo, when I was training judo, we learned lots of ways to turn a guy who was face down onto his back because that's how you win in judo, right? And those methods definitely work. But when would I use them in any other context? A police officer's not going to use those because he wants the guy face down. He doesn't want him face up. Why would he ever turn him right. over? In self-defense, why would I get on the, the ground with the guy and try and turn him so his weapons are pointing me? You, you, just, you just wouldn't do it. So mm -hmm. I, I, th I think it's, it's always that matter of going, uh, yes, it's, you, you know, things can work in one context but not work in another. And that's absolutely fine so long as you're aware of what context you're training for. And, and I do see it a lot. I think it's, it just it ends up with them teaching bad self-defense and ignoring the real value of a lot of martial stuff when they try and make everything into self-defense because it, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and there's there's also different, There's like you mentioned before, there's different types of real-world violence. Not all of it is self-defense. Some of it is mutual combat. And that's not to say that you couldn't find yourself toe-to-toe -to -toe in a... And a self-defense situation that looked like mutual combat, but maybe you were trying to de-escalate the situation, you got a little bit of space, and then it ended up devolving. And, you know, it, it looked like a kickboxing fight. But in most cases, you're probably going to be very close to the guy. A lot of people will, they'll show videos and they'll be like, oh, dude, look, this this awesome Taekwondo uh, hook kick, I saw this the other day, and it was pretty pretty sick. 
look, look, it works in a real fight. Well, yeah, it's a real fight, but it's not a self-defense fight. It's, it's mutual combat. Like it's the dynamics are a lot different than, a, 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 a like a very dire self-defense situation where the person really, really wants to take something from you. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And this is, this is one of my major irritations um, where martial artists use street fighting as a synonym for self-defense because they're not the same thing at all, right? For example, you're legally allowed to defend yourself. You're not legally allowed to fight in the street. Uh, and, and because martial artists sometimes don't get the difference and the differing objectives, they train in effectively for it. And, and dangerous. So I'll give an ex like a little example of this is um, if you take consensual uh, fighting skills that would work physically. So let's say like you've got like an MMA guy and in, in MMA competition, um, the standard thing is if you hit the guy and he drops, you jump on top of him and you carry on hitting him until the referee ends the fight. Right. So mm -hmm. that, that's a, a really common thing to do. It's a good thing to do within that context. It's a conditioned reaction. Now, if yeah. you do the exact same thing, because it worked there perfectly, but if you do the exact same thing in a self-defense scenario, you could suddenly find that you're getting stabbed by one of his friends. And there's, I've, I made a video on this and I've got some horrific footage of that actually happening to a guy. Yeah. Does a perfect throw, ends up on the ground, ends up getting his wrist slashed and stabbed repeatedly by this guy's friend. So that can happen. The other thing is, though, that even if it works, right, even if, you you know, no one else gets involved and the pummel the other guy's face into the pavement, witnesses then misunderstand what happened. And, that, and, and the criminal, because he's a criminal, will lie. And he will say, look, the other guy jumped on me. Look what he did. They ask witnesses and they say, well, what happened? And he said, he jumped on me. Look what he did. So you suddenly find yourself in jail. Now, well done you. You won the fight or you won the street fight, but you've ended up in prison. So so, so yeah. because the objective of self-protection is, is to avoid harm, even when we use physical skills, we should be fighting towards that objective. So it's like what I'm really trying to do here is, is, is get away from this scenario and I, I need to hurt this person, disorientate this person, make sure that when I flee, they're not able to give effective chase and get away. So the objective is different. So therefore the methods you choose to use are also different. And, and again, it's not, I think we need to get beyond that works, doesn't work, right, wrong thing. It, mm -hmm. It's always context dependent. And it, just because something works really well in one context doesn't mean it doesn't work in another. But But that doesn't mean it hasn't got value because it does work within the context in which it was designed for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to circle back real quick and just just so that the audience had had clarity on this. Um, how would you say that your approach to kata differs from more typical approaches that you see in dojos today? Um, yeah, uh, radically, I would say. So um, I, um, I, again, I see it as part of a process, not a standalone thing. Um, I feel the solo performance has value, but it's not the be-all and end-all of it, mm -hmm. uh, which I think a lot of them do. Um, I, I, I think that the the aliveness is a big thing because even those that do the, the claim to teach applications often do so against the guy who's standing there doing nothing. And, and I think to get the true value of it and to feel it, then you, you, you need that, 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 that aliveness in practice as, as well. And it's it's interesting, really, because again, is if if you were to type um, like bunkai is the the word that most karate could use for application. So if they were to type mm -hmm. bunkai in YouTube, one of the things you often see um, is is people standing there as eight people attack along angles at the compass points. It's very formal and very choreographed. 
uh, a practice which was labelled as nonsense and highly unreasonable by Ken mm-hmm. Wamabuni as far back as the, the 1930s. So I think they would be the, the, the main things. Is that, is that is, And it's messy too. That's the other thing. Yeah. Is, you know, we, we like nice, neat kata because, you know, we want to learn that body control and, and everything else. It goes back to that Funakoshi thing, always perform kata exactly, combat is another matter. But when we apply it, it looks uh, it looks ugly. It, it, mm-hmm. I always say we want the right kind of ugly when we practice. Not ugly because it's just bad technique, but ugly because we just acknowledge that's what fights look like. So so there's right. some yeah, some 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 big differences. And some people like it and some people don't, you know, but but um it, it certainly works for us. It gives us what we want from it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Like it should, you know, it should look ugly. It should look dirty. But you know, when you know what you're looking for, it doesn't look as pretty as kata. But it's not, it's not quite ugly, right? When you see, when you see good technique actually used live, it's not perfect. It doesn't, it's not sterile like you see in a one step kata. But um, I, I can, I know that you can too. But at least appreciate the uh, the elegance of a of a good, I guess you could say, maybe a shudo uke being able to hold somebody off like a spear. Um, and, and, you know, let you transition to another te- uh, technique or being able to, to ride a, a storm of punches and, and get into a, a position where you can, you know, throw someone's flat on the ground, you know? Yeah. It doesn't look, it doesn't look perfect. It doesn't look like a movie. It doesn't look like a, a kata demonstration, but it, there is a certain beauty to it. I guess you could say, I'm just thinking out loud. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I would agree with that. It does have a, an aesthetic of its own, but I, 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 again, at the seminars, that's a phrase I, I often use is it, it's the right kind of ugly so i say if it looks neat pretty like, like as in you know then it's probably not alive enough it's probably not realistic yeah. enough if it just looks completely awful and i've had that as well like you know I've, i remember visiting a, a dojo a friend of mine and him boasting about how realistic the practice was and he goes look how messy it is and i was like well it's just bad <laughs> everything about it it's you know it, it, it's just bad it's, it's it's bad technique done badly and he's saying yeah but it works yeah because the people that are doing it on are also bad you know but i, I think like, like the the situation you described there is when you see that um like for example let's use the example you talked about that forearm hits the neck and then you use the structure to to be able to create that bit of space in that moment to set up that strike and and, and you see that movement executed well tactically uh, and technically and it may not be a picture perfect replication of you know the cat but but it does have a certain beauty to it you know it's always like ooh, nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure if you know what you're looking for for sure yeah, yeah. i even the one of the is i even feel that way on the receiving end you know if we're in training <laughs> yeah you know, i'm always happy to be part of a good technique even if i'm at the wrong end of it <laughs> yeah yeah, it's, that's another weird thing about martial arts is eventually the ego starts to erode and you're like, you get you get a good one and you're like bleeding out of your mouth and you're, but you're smiling like, bro, dude, I was, man, that was great. It's one of the wonderful things about when you're in student does it to you as well, because that, yeah. that way your, your ego can't lose. You know, so yeah. they hit you think I taught them that. Uh, I taught you. that. That reflects on me. <laughs> so I I know that uh, some of my 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 listeners, a lot of them actually, are going to be jujitsu guys, are going to be MMA guys, um, people that don't do the so called traditional martial arts. If they if they were to say something like, "Hey, uh, you know, since." since you have like these, these phases, these stages or drills that kind of work your way up to the, your kata based sparring, why do you still need to like practice the solo kata? Like what would you say to somebody who raises that objection? 
Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, um, I'd say I wouldn't say you need to do it, but I can. But there are advantages to doing it. So one advantage is look at the amount of people who are now suddenly inventing solo drills because we're on lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, and people can't say, well, we've already got them. So that's, that's one advantage. One reason they're there is on the occasions where you can't train with a partner simply because it's early in the morning, it's late at night, your partner hasn't shown up or global pandemics, whatever the reason, you've got a way of, of, of supplementary solo training. So that, that's one thing that they give us. And that's one reason why we, we do them. Um, the other reason is obviously to, you know, we want to preserve that continuity of knowledge as well. We don't just want to get the map and then rip up the map for the next generation. We want to pass it on. But one function that it can serve is because a lot of the techniques that, that and he's just a, I'll circle back around to this, but what, one of the things that most martial artists don't realize is they're always practicing wrong. All of us are because we practice techniques that are designed to harm and hurt people, but we always mm-hmm. want to leave the dojo or the gym without anyone getting harmed or hurt. No one wants to be calling the ambulance every single session. So we're always making some compromises in the name of safety, whether that's protective equipment or rules or just some kind of agreements or go on light. And, and that's a good and moral thing to do. But the, the trouble with that is that there's an ever present fault there. So one of the things that kata can help do is it can help correct that fault because we can visualize doing the technique with full intent. So if I've got a technique where I smash my partner in the throat, for example, or I smash the enemy in the throat, when I'm yeah. doing it with a partner, I'm always going to do it with control, right? And when I do it against the pad, I can hit the pad hard, but but it's, it, it's a pad, you know what I mean? It's not a person. Yeah. When I do the kata, what I can do is I can visualize doing it against a real human being. So that visualization can be very effective combined with the actual movement can also help as well. But I would never say that people need to do kata, but the reason we do it is for that continuation of the knowledge. It gives us a supplementary form of solo training and it gives us a chance to practice with real intent. That's why we would do them. That's a good answer. And um, on the, the visual, visualization, there's a lot of, um, I mean, you have to be careful with that. There's a lot of evidence that uh, that the visualization is um, really good for you. But the the one caveat I would toss in there, and, and I'm sure you don't disagree, is that you do need that live experience to understand what it is you're trying to visualize before, because you don't want to try and visualize something in in a, a vacuum, so to speak. I know that when when I was coming up in the ranks, that that was kind of what happened because we didn't do a lot of sparring. People would say, you know, imagine they would tell me, imagine a uh, an opponent while you're doing your your pumse, and I would be imagining stuff out of you know the Iron Monkey, you know, whatever <laughs> kung fu movie I w- had watched last weekend, and that's what I was imagining in my head as I did my pumse. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally get that. And that, that's a brilliant point because that's, that's the cycle that's supposed to happen. So through your live practice, you've, when you come back to doing the kata, all those memories and experiences have been triggered when you do it. So it's a way to reinforce the partner training as well. But if you've not done that, you can't get that element of benefit from the kata itself. You know, so the idea is they constantly feed into one another. And it's different as well. I can, I, 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 when I see people who really do get their applications and have drilled it live properly, when they do the cutter, they, they are, in their mind, they are fighting. You can see it. They believe in it. And then you get the other guy who can do the cutter where it, it looks very pretty, but it, it, it lacks that grit. There's something missing about it. It looks hollow and tinny. 
and, and I put it down to the fact that they haven't had the experiences that can inform it. So it, it's missing that that depth. It's like I yeah. guess the difference between like you know, like a good actor and a you know a good actor will draw on real emotion, and right. a bad actor will try and fake it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I th- yeah, but I, yeah, I would agree completely that, that that that's what it is. But I mean, we do the same thing. You know, like it, it's it's. I think most martial arts will have some form of solo practice, and but 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 again, it needs to be a supplement to the the life partner practice. Yeah, supplementally being yeah being the key word, not not your key, not your key training method. No, no, absolutely not. Because, because again, if the objective is to be able to apply these te- techniques live, then we need to practice them live. You know, and I think I think that's sometimes where you know karate goes wrong a little bit as well. You would go to a lot of dojos, and they would spend hours and hours and hours and hours on the kata. It's like looking at the surface of the like the, the cover of the book and never reading it. Right. You know, it, it, it's it, it, and we learn far less than most people as well. You know, by the time my mm-hmm. students have got to fourth dan, which takes a very long time, they've only learned ten kata. You know, which is which mm-hmm. is it's very and up to first dan, they learn six. And that typically mm-hmm. takes eight years, eight years to learn six forms. And they're all short as well. So it's, yeah. it's learning them in depth and practicing in that, that way, you know, that yeah, link yeah. to life is always there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. So my, my last question is, um, this is more aimed at people that might still be skeptical, not from a, not from like a boxing or a jujitsu standpoint, but from a traditional standpoint. Do you think there's room or, or actually even a need for modern training methods to be introduced and integrated into tra- traditional martial arts. 100%. Yeah. And that, and, and that's traditional. <laughs> right. It is actually. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause it, 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 and this is, and, and this is why, um, I sometimes get, I, I get more criticism from within the traditionalist camp than I do from outside of it. You know, and sometimes some of the, the criticism I get is because of the introduction of, modern kit and modern training methods and, and and modern ideas. But but if you look at the history of it, not one single generation. So I'll, I'll talk about karate because that's that's the art I know. But, uh, you're just coming back in sounding a little bit robotic. Are we okay? Let me check. Yeah, I hear you now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the, the joys of Skype. No, um, so where was I? Yeah, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I get more criticism from within the traditional camp than I do from outside it. Uh, and sometimes that's because of bringing in these these modern training methods and things. But, but if you look at the old masters, not a single one of them passed it on in the exact same way it was taught to them. If you think of any field of study, the way it advances is each generation goes, okay, this is what we've got. Now you go ahead and improve it. And, and that's what I, what I want to do. You know, I, I, I love what's been passed on to me. I want to do what I can to make it better. And then I'll pass it on to the next generation on the full understanding that they'll do the same thing. It, 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 it's a falsehood to think that traditional martial arts have remained the same for thousands of years. They've not. They've constantly evolved. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Cool. So uh, a resounding yes to that. Is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. But even then, you know, I, I remember I was um, I was on Stefan 
uh, Kestin's podcast and we ended up talking about a similar thing. And, and I made the point that in, we do a lot of work with focus myths in, in the dojo, loads, yeah. loads of work on focus myths. Uh, um, and some traditionalists don't like them because they'll go, no, no, like the Makiwara, the striking post is our traditional thing. And I think, yeah, but yeah. the only reason they did that is because that's all they had. I, I'm certain that if I could go back in time and say, look, here's some focus myths with this modern high density form that they would have adapted them. And I would now be practicing traditional focus mitt drills so my aim is to create those and pass them on until that bit of kit is superseded by the next thing you know it should always be evolving and improving that's just like i mean what other field of human endeavor believed it reached perfection in the 1940s i mean who wants a 1940s car or a 1940s house you know you know we, we all acknowledge just things keep improving over time and i think we've all got to do our bit to try and do that you know and I think yeah. within the traditional circle, sometimes that's looked as, oh, who are you to say you know more than the old masters? But that I, I always like this. Uh, John of Salisbury made that comment where he said, um, if I can see so far, it's because I am a dwarf standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. Well, so my objective is to be that dwarf. I'm not saying I'm a giant. I'm saying they've already given me everything they knew. So mm-hmm. if I can push it forwards that little bit, you know, then I'm sure they'll thank me for it. Sure. And we're, we're also operating on, I mean, this is the whole, the whole point of combat learning is to, to inject modern training methods, especially research-based scientific training methods, methods into the martial arts, whether it's traditional or, or jujitsu, every, it's all plagued by various levels of tradition and, and bad ideas about learning and motor learning. And, um, it, it, it like, it's definitely, we, we're drawing on just years and years of literature, uh, scientific literature and, and practical experience. We're not just saying, hey, I know more. I mean, we're, ac- we're actually learning from people that have, that have just profoundly more experience than we do, and we're just consolidating it. Yeah, then that's, you know, I mean, this is where, I mean, I know that's your field, but I think it is, if we can all find better, more efficient ways of doing things, then, then obviously we should do what we can't do adopt those I, I, I can't quite follow why anyone wouldn't I, I mean sometimes in the traditional circles is an idea of keeping something pure but once mm-hmm. you realize that pure thing never existed in the first place it's a myth right. you know i mean it's, it's always been evolving and changing um and always every generation has tried to make it better then then you know we should kind of do the same thing and we're really lucky in this age as well because like you know you and i have an, an, an ocean between us but here we are chatting in real time you know, right. the, the ability to share information has never been better. So I, 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 and I, I personally, I know some, I don't believe martial arts have ever been better either, you know, be, mm-hmm. because people sharing these ideas and, you know, and still there's, there's always pockets of, of resistance and stuff. But, but I think overall, I think we're all heading in the, the right direction because people can swap ideas. And over time, it's the good ideas that tend to win out, I think. Yeah. Uh, totally agreed. Martial arts is in another renaissance. It is going and generally going the right way. And it's so much better than it used to be with everybody collaborating and training methods, continuing to improve people trying new and different things. It's, um, it's an exciting time to be alive. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, these weird things like I, I remember, um, that what really brought this home to me is, uh, I was teaching down at the club uh, we'd done a pad drill that I thought, I think people might like that. So I filmed a quick, quick clip of it and I put it on Twitter. 
you know, this is the drill that we did tonight or one of the drills we did tonight. I wake up the next morning and a guy in Canada had footage of him teaching the same drill to his students that night. <laughs> so I thought that, that, that drill went from my home in Northern England and was being taught in Canada within 12 hours. You know what I mean? It's, it's just incredible. It's incredible, incredible how quickly things can move now. And you think in the pre-internet age, how long would that have taken to happen? Decades. You know, a, whole ship, some... a whole ship ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that, dude, this has been an awesome episode. I think this is really, I think this is my favorite one so far. Oh, um, I want to be, but I want to be respectful for your time. I'm operating on like no hours of sleep. So uh, I got I to gotta hop off here and, and get ready so I can go back to my uh, third, my temporary third shift until the COVID thing is all done with. But thank you so much for coming on the Combat Learning Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. No, I've enjoyed this. It's been fun talking to you. So thank you very much for making it happen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, you can email me at josh at combatlearning.com or send me a message on facebook.com slash combatlearning. Now, real quick before I go, can I ask you a huge favor? If you got value from this episode, Leave us a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. So many shows pop up and fizzle out. And we're talking about stuff that nobody else is talking about, and we want to stick around. So leaving us a review helps us a ton. Finally, the show is produced by Micah Peacock. Thanks in advance, and I'll see you on the next episode.